Good morning. So we've been talking about agendas over the past few weeks, and I have to say it's a subject near and dear to my heart because I live by my agenda. It is rare that you'll find me anywhere without my cell phone telling me exactly what it is I'm supposed to be doing at that moment and in the next moment, because otherwise I will forget. So I do love to have my agenda. Um, it actually was made me laugh a little while. Uh, Seinfeld has made a resurgence in my house. I don't know if there's any Seinfeld watchers around here or not. But um, we were recently watching Seinfeld, and it was the episode where Kramer gives Elaine the um, personal organizer, you know, and has all the alarms and things to keep her on schedule. And she ends up in a limo with an author that she's supposed to be wooing, and, um, and her, her thing keeps going off her personal organizer won't stop beeping to tell her that something is coming up. And this author is getting more and more frustrated, and she's trying to get it to stop, and it just won't until she finally grabs it. He finally grabs it from her and throws it out the limo's window. And Elaine is lost. She's furious at Kramer for having given it to her in the first place because everything she knows is in there, and now it is gone, and she does not know what end is up. And that would be me, or my personal organizer to disappear somewhere. Even 20 years ago, when that episode was filmed, we were a society driven by agenda. And the reality is, there are a lot of different things that set our agendas. Our work sets our agenda. Our children set our agenda. Our spouse, family, friends. We live in a world where we feel like everything gets to have a voice into who we should be, what we should do, and where we should go. Which is why we've come to our present series. We've been talking about taking our agenda and laying it before God. We've been talking about taking church on Sunday out into the rest of the week, into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, throughout the whole week, taking God's priority as our priority, making his agenda our agenda. And, and last week, both Jeff and Rick at separate campuses posed three questions, three questions that help us check where our priorities lie, what our agenda is. <coughs> Excuse me. They asked us to think about who I am to be, what I am to do, and where I am to go. Boils down to three words that we need to carry with us, and those three words are be, do, and go. We know that we are called to be disciples of Christ, right? I mean, we talk about it all the time. We are in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. We know that's what we're supposed to be doing. And Jeff challenged us last week as well. How are we doing that? What is that next step in being conformed to the image of Christ? Is God calling you to serve somewhere new? Perhaps he's calling you to a small group to go deeper into the word than you have before. 
Maybe he's calling you to reach out and find a mentor, someone further along this path that can help you through the everyday trials. Then there's this question of what should we do? And it really is the second half of our discipleship definition. Being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Everything that Jesus taught, everything that he called us to, was to do for the sake of others. That others would know him and love him, and in turn, they would do for the sake of others. There is an inherent call to action in all that Jesus does and teaches. And then finally, the go. Where are we called to go? And so often when we hear this, where are we going to go, we think about a mission field and we think, well, am I being called all the way around the world? Am I being called to a different state, to a different country? But the reality is each and every one of us is called to go. You may be called to go into your home. You may be called to go into your workplace. Perhaps you're being called to go into your schools, whether as teachers or students. Wherever we find ourselves, we are called to go forth as representatives of Christ, to bring him with us in all that we do, wherever we do it. So we can agree that answering these questions are our goals, and they're great goals, and they're inspiring, and they're motivating, but they kind of feel like the answer to an equation. You know, something equals be, do, go. So what is the first half of this equation then? that first half, that first part of the equation is love. A love so deep, a love so powerful that the force of this love washes us clean. The force of this love covers our sins. Ah, and there it is. Nobody really wants to think or talk about our sins, right? In fact, we as a culture work really, really hard to polish up on the outside so no one can see the stuff that's going on underneath. We work really hard to push our brokenness down, push it away, forget about it. But the reality is each and every one of us is broken. If you don't believe it, ask the people you live with. They will happily tell you. I know mine will, regularly. But we, as pretty as we may be on the outside, we are broken on the inside. We are eternally battling with things like envy, greed, lust, anger, our need to control everything and everyone around us. It's true of every one of us, but we are in good company throughout all of history. 
We've been reading from Ephesians, which was written by Paul, and Paul throughout his letters, specifically in Romans, tells us that he finds himself continually wrestling, doing the things he doesn't want to do while not doing the things he really wants to do. And that's pretty much my life, at least. Wanting desperately to serve after and seek God, but continually stumbling over my own feet. In fact, throughout his letters, Paul tells us that he is the greatest of sinners. He names himself that because of his past. You see, he was a very well-renowned, very well-taught and learned Jew, and he was a scholar amongst his people, and he made it his passion to find and squelch and kill those following Jesus. until he met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, face to face. And he found himself in the presence of a holy love. A love so big that he could not remain the same a love so big that he walked away changed. This love is so big that it sought us out while we wanted nothing to do with it. It is a love so profound that it couldn't bear to be separated from us. It is a love that pursues us recklessly, relentlessly. And it is a love whose depth we cannot fully understand until we do look at the fact that we are sinners. Because it is in the light of our sin that we can see the enormity of God's love. You may have, over the course of your life, had a raise or been offered a promotion. And these are always really exciting times. And there are times where you feel like, gosh, I'm so glad someone has recognized the hard work that I've done. And this is fantastic. And it was a surprise and and all of that. But I did work really hard. And so I'm glad that it was recognized. And that's fantastic. But that's not the kind of love we're talking about. I recently was having a conversation with a friend of mine. And he was... um, he was telling me how he and his family had been going through a hard time, and um, his parents had come to him and said, you know, we really just want to do something for you, and we want to bless you, and we, um, we're going to take you guys um, on vacation. We're just, this is, this is going to be on us. It's what we want to do for you. And he said his initial reaction was to say, absolutely not. No way. It's too big. It's too much. There's, there's no way we could pay you back. And we would just feel terrible. They just kind of laughed. We're not asking you, first of all. Second of all, we are not expecting you to pay us back. We're not doing it for what we can get, except that what we get is your presence. We just want to be with you. Not because of what you've done, just because you're you.
That was the kind of love magnified by a million that Paul experienced when he stood before the resurrected king. A love offered not because of what he had done, but rather in spite of all he had done. And that love changed his life so that he wanted nothing more than for other people to experience it as well. He wanted nothing more than to share that love with others. And that brings us right back to the book of Ephesians. It brings us right back to the letter he was writing to the uh, church in Ephesus, and he is talking to them about this love. And in the middle of his letter, he begins to pray for them. And the reality is this prayer is not just for them. In fact, he says, this is for you and the generations to come. This prayer is for us as well. And we're going to look at it together. He says, when I think of all this, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. We're going to pause there because you see what Paul knows is that when we recognize God's love, when we experience that love in our lives, it throws open the doors. We can suddenly experience life with a new freedom and abundance we had never known before. Paul is calling on God's glorious and unlimited resources to empower us through his spirit, what? That's a lot of words. What is this inner strength from the Spirit? I was trying to come up with a, a way that I understood it best, and I think the way that I found it was remembering back to when my girls were really little, you know, really little, and we were at the pool, and they'd still wear the little arm floaties and maybe even the little waist floaty thing, and they'd stand right on the edge of the pool, and they'd stick their little toes over, and Kevin or I would be in the pool and be like, okay, come on, you can jump, and they'd be like, nah-ah. We'd be like, yeah, you can do it, I'll catch you, I promise, it's fine, you can do it. No. And they'd put their little toe in, and then they'd back themselves up a little bit. And eventually, with our reassuring and our comforting and our telling them that we were there, we would catch them, they would take that leap. And they would be full of giggles and splashes and immediately up, do it again! And then as they got older, when they were in their upper elementary years, we belonged to a pool. And of course, if you belong to a pool and you want to play in the fun end, you have to band, right? You've got to be able to swim in the pool and all that, and then you can go off the dive. And I can remember practicing with them to get their bands. And I would walk up and down the edge of the pool as they would splash along, constantly looking up to make sure that I was still right there, periodically grabbing that wall like, Mom! You've got this. 
and I will be there in a hot second if you need anything. Because they knew that I loved them and I cared for them and I would protect them, they could be bold. They had the freedom to jump and to swim out over their heads and to do things they would have never thought possible mere weeks before. When we understand the love of God, when Christ takes root in our heart, we can be bold. We can do things we never thought possible. The next thing we see is is Paul talking about roots, and he says, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. This, this is our discipleship. This is us being conformed to the image of Christ because these roots, these roots do a lot of things for that tree. They absorb minerals and water and all the things that are needed to grow so they can be strong. But they also anchor that tree. They anchor it so that in the worst of the winds and the rains, it will not be uprooted. Did you know that a tree's roots can grow to be two to four times the width of its canopy? Think about some of those massive trees. Think about those redwoods. Oh my goodness. Do you know how wide that is? That is amazing. And I want that root structure. I want my roots to grow that wide and that deep because those roots are in his love and in his truth and in his church. It is how we stay strong. It's how we grow and how we stay healthy because we are rooted in God's love. Paul goes on, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You see, Paul is reminding us that love is wider than the east is from the west. You guys remember that Casting Crown song from a number of years ago? The verse says, Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west? Because I can't bear to see the man I've been rising up in me again. In the arms of your mercy, I find rest. You know just how far the east is from the west, from one scarred hand to the other. His love is wide enough to cover all of our sins. The love of Christ is long. It is for eternity. It is not for a season as we might have experienced love here on earth. It's not even for our whole time on earth. It is for eternity. And his love is high. 
high enough to lift us to the greatest mountain peaks, the celebrations in our life, the joys, those times when we can scream from the mountaintops. He is there lifting us up and celebrating with us. And his love is deep. It is deep enough to carry us through the deepest depths of our despair. There is nowhere that his love won't follow us. There was a a documentary about 20 years ago. It was called The Prisoners of Hope, um, and it was all about Vietnam prisoners of war. They interviewed a number of different POWs and um, asked them about their experiences. And what was unique about this was that all of the prisoners credited God, their faith in Jesus, for being the reason that they survived. One man... um, Robert, uh, or Roger, I'm sorry, Roger was his name. He had said that he was, his plane had been shot down and he was in a rice paddy. And he had laid it before God. He said, you know, I've talked a good talk. I know who you are, God. But right here, right now, this minute, I am yours. I'm yours. Take my life and I will follow you. And he said that through the months and years of torture and isolation that followed, it was his faith in Jesus that sustained him. He said, and I quote, I had the wonderful psychological feeling that I was really pulling one over on the enemy. Describing one extended period of solitary confinement, he said, they thought I was in there really suffering by being alone. But I had a cellmate the entire time I was there. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He went on to talk about the ways that the prisoners had developed to be able to talk covertly through coughs, throat clearings, tapping on walls, They shared scripture and they prayed together this way. And it sustained them through the deepest depths of their despair. There's nowhere that God's love can't go. Now, Paul doesn't pretend that we can understand this fully. We are limited. In fact, one of my favorite things uh, John Wesley was quoted as saying is, um, if you show me a worm who understands a man, I'll show you a man who understands God. He is so much more than we can understand. We can only grasp pieces of his love. But when we trust in God, when we follow him, when we begin to experience that love, then we begin to understand and experience the fullness and the power of God. Now, Paul closes out his prayer. And he says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is us. We are able to do infinitely more than we might ask or think. Because he first loved us. 
because when we are rooted in Christ and filled with his love, we can be bold. We can take Christ's love out with us to everywhere we go, to everyone we meet. The band is going to come up and close us with a song. And as they're doing that and getting ready, I want to leave you with a quote from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis says, To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do what he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get into heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. When we begin to know and understand and experience the fullness of God's love, we can't help but let it overflow. We can't help but share it with people who we come in contact with. Love equals be, do, and go.